This is Optimal Finance Daily, episode 1361. Annualized returns by asset class from 1999 to 2018 by Sam of FinancialSamurai.com. And I'm your host and personal finance enthusiast, Diana Merriam. This is the show where I read to you from the best personal finance blogs on the web, with the author's permission, of course. For now, let's get right to today's post as we optimize your life. Annualized Returns by Asset Class from 1999 to 2018 by Sam of FinancialSamurai.com. Before I show you the 20-year annualized returns by asset class between 1999 and 2018, I want you to guess the following four things. Number one, of the following asset classes, the S&P 500, a 60-40 stock bond portfolio, bonds, a 40-60 stock bond portfolio, REITs, gold, oil, IFA, which is Europe, Asia, Far East, and national real estate, which performed best? Number two, what was the annualized return for the best performing asset class plus or minus 0.5%? Number three, what was the annualized return for the worst performing asset class plus or minus 0.5%? And number four, what was the annualized return for the average active investor plus or minus 0.2%? If you can guess two out of the four correctly, I'll give you a gold star and might even take your child's SAT or ACT exam for you. If you only get one out of four right, you need to go run five miles immediately. If you get zero right, then you need to run five miles, do 100 sit-ups and 100 push-ups. There's no way any of you are getting four out of four right. Now that we have a deal, let's take a look at the results to see how reality compares with your biased beliefs. Performance by asset class between 1999 and 2018. In this post are the results compiled by JP Morgan, one of the largest traditional asset managers in the world that charge clients 1.15% to 1.45% of assets under management based on a million to $10 million. Asset managers like JP Morgan are the reason why digital wealth advisors like Betterment were created during the last financial crisis. People wanted to pay lower fees and weren't satisfied with active management results. REITs is the number one performer with a 9.9% annualized return. I bet less than 20% of you guessed this one right. The S&P 500 only returned 5.6% a year between 1999 and 2018. I think most of you would have guessed a higher return. On a relative basis, bonds at 4.5% doesn't seem too shabby given the lower volatility and risk. Gold is a real surprise at 7.7% since gold doesn't produce any income and whenever gold is mentioned, it's usually in a negative light unless you're a gangster. Meanwhile, homes return the worst at only 3.4%. The National Home Price Index generally tracks close to inflation, 2.2% in this time period. Therefore, a 1.2% outperformance isn't bad. Further, we're not including leverage, only sales price. What's most interesting to me about this chart is how REITs have outperformed homes by 6.5% for 20 years, 
That goes to show that professional real estate managers can add tremendous value. The outperformance also partially explains why experienced individuals who know how to bargain, remodel, expand, and predict demographic changes often prefer real estate as well. Finally, it's no surprise to me that the average active investor has only returned 1.9% a year during this time period. Trading in and out of investments is a losing proposition long-term due to timing errors and fees. Figuring out when to buy is hard enough. Having to figure out when to sell and then get back in consistently is impossible. The inability to consistently outperform the market is the reason why the vast majority of us should stick to a proper asset allocation model based on our risk tolerance and our goals in life. Our core tax advantage retirement portfolios should be mostly left alone. I'm talking about our 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, SEP IRA, 403b, and so forth. For our after-tax investments, it's worth adjusting our strategies based on a purpose, such as getting more conservative if buying a house within the next 12 months. Why I chose 1999 as the starting point. In addition to the fact that JP Morgan has already crunched the numbers for me, 1999 as a starting point is significant for me because it coincides with my graduation from college and when I started to aggressively invest my savings. I actually started investing money during my sophomore year in 1996, but I only had about a $2,500 portfolio at the time, so it was insignificant. Hooray for making $4 an hour at McDonald's though to learn about work ethic. Given my vintage year is 1999, my outlook on various asset classes is shaped by the performance of these asset classes during most of my working career. From 1999 to 2000, we had a tremendous internet stock bubble followed by a 2.5 year decline. Then we had a nice five year run in the S&P 500 followed by another two-year collapse. Now we've had a nice 10-year run that has surpassed the previous peak by almost 100%. Therefore, readers have to forgive me for not overweighting stocks at this point in time. Given my working career has been limited to living in New York City and San Francisco, I have personally witnessed closer to a 6% annualized growth in property from 1999 to 2018. 6% is not much greater than the stock market's 5.6% annualized return. However, once you add leverage, 6% becomes a significant amount. We're talking 12 to 30% annualized returns on a 50 to 80% loan to value ratio. When I calculate my compound annualized net worth growth rate since 1999, the number is between 12 and 14%, depending on how I value some of my assets. This is fine since my annual net growth target has always been at least 10%. However, I would attribute more than 50% of my net worth growth to aggressive savings and building a business rather than to returns. In other words, what you do may matter more than you think. Lower your return expectations. One of my main goals of this article is for readers to keep your return expectations reasonable over the next 10 to 20 years. If you do so, your risk exposure will likely be more appropriate. You'll also work harder to build your net worth through action. The second goal of this article is to compare your overall net worth growth to your various investments of choice and see how they stack up. 
you should try to figure out how much of your net worth growth was due to savings versus returns. Finally, I want everyone to recognize their biases. I'm biased towards real estate because real estate has performed best for me since 1999. Whereas some of you will be biased towards stocks or other asset classes because they have performed best for you since getting your first real job. Past performance is no guarantee of future performance. It is likely we'll experience some performance leadership changes in the future and we'll have to adapt accordingly. For our tax advantage investments, including our son's 529 plan, I plan on leaving them alone. We've still got between 16 to 20 years before we want to access the funds. For our after-tax investments, I'm reducing exposure to stocks, increasing exposure to cash and short-term treasuries, diversifying our real estate exposure across non-coastal cities through specialty REITs and real estate crowdfunding, and constantly looking for ocean view fixers in San Francisco. I'm sure I'll be kicking myself in 10 years from now if I don't buy at least one more ocean view fixer today. I just love the combo of identifying high growth potential investments and boosting returns through rehabbing. You just listened to the post titled Annualized Returns by Asset Class from 1999 to 2018 by Sam of FinancialSamurai.com. It's no secret that something always comes up when you're running a small business. It's time to take the pain out of payroll benefits and HR and put the joy back in running your business with Gusto. Gusto's payroll and HR services can make it a little easier. Gusto was designed for you, the small business owner. They take the pain out of running a business, automatically calculating paychecks, filing payroll taxes, setting up open enrollment. Gusto does it all. Want more? Time tracking, health insurance, 401k, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters, access to HR experts, you get the idea. With Gusto, you can focus on the joy of running your business. It's super easy to set up and get started. And if you're moving from another provider, Gusto can transfer all your data for you. It's no surprise 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto. 94. Here's the best part. Because you're a listener, you get three months totally free. All you have to do is go to gusto.com OFD. Again, that's gusto.com OFD. I'm telling you, you're gonna love Gusto. Get started today. As with the last Financial Samurai article, I just had to consult my friend Frank Vasquez over at the Risk Parity Radio podcast, who is simply much more knowledgeable than me when it comes to analysis of different asset classes. Which on a side note, just goes to show that you don't need to know everything about money to be good with money. This community is filled with money nerds who are willing to help out and Frank is one of my absolute favorites. I mentioned to Frank that I thought it was a bit unfair to start this analysis in 1999, right before the dot-com crash. But also, I'm biased towards total market index funds as my preferred investment vehicle. Frank pointed out that if you're going to conduct this kind of analysis, it's much more useful to utilize all the data available versus a specific time period because you're going to get a vastly different picture depending on what time period you're analyzing. For example, I noticed many people in the comments of this article saying that they were going to invest more heavily in REITs based on the analysis. And if you look at the data over a longer period of time, REITs generally outperformed stocks from the 1970s into the 2000s. However, 
stocks have outperformed REITs over the past five and 10-year periods. The past one and five-year periods have been striking. In the past five years, VTSAX and VTI is up over 68%, while the returns for VNQ, which is Vanguard's real estate index fund, have been close to zero. It would have been a mistake for an investor in 2010 or 2015 to look at how well REITs had performed in the past and put all of their money into them. This would have underperformed the market by huge margins. And as you can imagine, this sector has been hit hard by the pandemic. Keep in mind that REITs are just one small sector of the overall stock market, about 3%, and are actually included in VTI and VTSAX in about that proportion. In any given period, some sectors of the market will perform better than others. But unless you have a crystal ball and can predict pandemics, you won't be able to know in advance which sector is going to overperform. That's why I like total market index funds. You're just buying all of the sectors. The other more meta problem here is that financial samurai's analysis seems to assume a lump sum investment in 1999, and that was all the investing they did. In fact, most investors are putting in smaller amounts over the course of a long period, and that alone will contribute to far different performance results. So these kinds of analyses never really capture the experience of someone fully funding an IRA or 401k every year for 20 years, which ends up being a lot smoother ride. Sam also states that we will likely experience some performance leadership changes in the future and we'll have to adapt accordingly, but I'm not so sure that resonates with me. I'm investing to beat inflation and let the power of compound interest grow my money over the long term. I'm not necessarily trying to get that absolute highest rate of return or beat the market. If I am constantly changing up my investments to adapt to changing asset class leadership, I think it would drive me crazy. I agree with what Sam said about how lower expectations on returns will likely push you to work harder to build your net worth through action. I like to think that whatever I'm missing out on in regards to optimized returns due to asset class diversification, I'm making up for with a high savings rate. Think of it this way. If person A saves $100 with a 50% return, and person B saves $150 with a 10% return, who is better off? It's person B. And that's a wrap for another Monday show. Have a great rest of your day and start to your week. And I'll be back tomorrow as usual, where your optimal life awaits.